Good evening, church. Are you ready to get back into the book of Ruth? All right, let's open to Ruth, and we're going to be beginning chapter 2 this evening. And I'm going to read Ruth 2 from verse 1 to 7. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for the opportunity to come together under your word. And we ask, Lord, after a a long day that you have blessed, we ask for um, just some more concentration. Help us, Lord, to be able to set our hearts on what your word says. And we ask again for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. In grade one, I remember the excitement of uh, the night before my first ever soccer tournament. My kit was ready next to the bed and I was eager to fall asleep, you know, so the night could just pass. Well, 3 a.m. came and I was fully kitted in clothes, in boots, in shin pads, standing next to my parents' bed. And they quickly uh, ushered me back to my own bed. Maybe you remember times like that as a child, similar days where you were just eager to get to bed. You wanted the next day to come where you just jumped out of bed with excitement for what the day held before you. Other times, maybe as you grow older and older and older, it is more and more difficult to get out of bed. You wake up and when you're an adult, the, the troubles of life, that's when they rush back into your mind. Maybe you wake up these days and all the prospects before you, all the possibilities seem rather bleak and gloomy. And five extra minutes in bed becomes 15 and before you know it, you've skipped your quiet time again. Now I hope you'll allow me this opportunity to use some imagination, but go back with me 3,000 years to Ruth in this story, waking up one morning in Bethlehem. She's just gotten settled after her journey from Moab. She's a foreigner in this land, and life, if we're honest, has not been going very well for Ruth. She's a widow. She's lost her husband. 
She's lost her father-in-law, and she's living now with her mother-in-law, Naomi, in poverty. When she wakes up this morning, do all the troubles of life come rushing to her head? The worries over her future. Does she maybe wonder what would have happened if she had remained in the land of Moab? How is Orpah doing? Maybe she's already met somebody new. But no, Ruth thinks, I've made my choice. Things are tough, yes, but in this land I walk with Yahweh. I have Yahweh here. So she makes a decision. There's no use lying here morbidly contemplating all the troubles of life. Let me get up. Let me trust my God today and do something positive. Maybe as I go, the Lord's favor will find me today. This is Ruth's attitude here in chapter 2. What are we to do on those days where it's difficult to get out of bed in the morning? Those seasons where you look to your future and it seems as if your future is devoid of any attractive prospects. We can learn from the book of Ruth. After the heaviness of chapter 1 with Naomi's bitter cry ringing in the air, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. With that setting the scene, the author introduces a hint of hope. For our purposes at this stage, no more than a hint and a question in verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. There is a man related to Naomi through her marriage to Elimelech. Why is he introduced so abruptly here? Is this man possibly going to be the solution to their trouble, the reader asks? He is a, a worthy man. And that word is versatile in the Old Testament usage. It means a man of integrity, a man of social status, of importance, a man of wealth, of noble character. He is a good man in a day when a good man is hard to find. So there's just a hint of hope, a crack of sunshine between the clouds. The author is saying, keep your eye on this guy. And we will do that. We will come back to him at later sections, this Redeemer that Yahweh provides. But for tonight, all I want to do is just highlight the attitude of Ruth on this day. And the correlation between Ruth's trust and Yahweh's trustworthiness in this passage. Two headings tonight. Number one, we're going to see Ruth's unseeing stand. Her unseeing stand. And number two, Yahweh's unseen hand. Number one, the unseeing stand. While prospects seem gr grim, Ruth chooses today to set her heart on a good God. She wakes up this morning and she has a faithful thought. God is good. His law is good. 
And there is provision there even for me. Verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now there's not a lot that we know about Ruth and Naomi's state in Bethlehem, but we know this for sure. This verse makes it clear that they were living in some kind of poverty. They faced poverty as widows in the land. There was a law, really a beautiful law, tucked away in the Torah. A law that made provision for the poor and the foreigners of the land. A margin in society for widows and for orphans. You can find the law in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24. Harvesters, as they went through the field, were to go over the field only once. They were to leave the edges. And whatever they didn't get as they went through or whatever fell to the ground was to be left according to the law of God, to be left for those, the poor and the foreigners of the land who came behind the harvesters. This is a bad practice in a greedy society, but it was meant to be a mark of the covenant people of God. God's generosity to his people should overflow in their generosity towards others. Is there, just in passing, this kind of intentional marginality for those who are poor in the land in the way that you handle your finances? Instead of always justifying why we never give, we ought to be creative in how we bless. But Ruth here really is showing great courage and faith. We ought not to forget the dangers and the obstacles that she faced. First, this is, we know, the time of the judges. A time where there was no king and the description in the book of Judges is every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a time of real moral deprivation. What Ruth wants to do wasn't exactly safe. We see hints of that even in this chapter, in this beautiful story. In verse 9, Boaz says to her, Stay in my field. I have warned the young men not to touch you. So there's a hint in this beautiful story of, of the danger lurking outside. In verse 22 of chapter 2, Naomi says, Thank God, stay in his field lest you get assaulted elsewhere. So there is danger in what Ruth wants to do. Additionally, we shouldn't forget her nationality. Indeed, you can't forget her nationality if you read the book of Ruth. The author reminds you again and again and again. Three times just in our passage, we see again she is a Moabite. When Boaz asks the, the, foreman, uh, the foreman of his servants who she is, the foreman answers in verse 6 saying she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. This is clear in their minds. As a reader of this passage, of the story, you'd be thinking that the, the favor that Ruth sets out to find is a bit of a long shot. I don't know what she's expecting to find. But Ruth has made her bed. I'm not going back to the land of Moab. I'm not going back for convenience or comfort or for hope. I'm hedging my bets with the God of Israel. Yahweh plus nothing is better than any life without Him. 
This is her heart. So the work may be dangerous. It's certainly degrading. But she has no time for self-pity. And she is humble in what she wants to do. Ruth doesn't know what God is doing in her story. In fact, most of her life has seen only trouble. But she knows that God is good. And so she goes in trust. She wakes up. She wakes up. <laughs> She goes in faithfulness and in diligence. And I just love Ruth's attitude to the law of God in this passage. Where so many see the law of God as the enemy. It's just restrictions, a list of do's and don'ts. Ruth sees behind God's law the God of grace. She knows the lawgiver is good. God is kind and his law is for my good and when my prospects are bleak, I'm going in the way of his law. That's how we are to live. We often make life so much harder than it ought to be. We want to make pacts and compromises. We want to give and take with God. We want guarantees. We want to be able to see ahead when really we ought to live like this. Just sometimes just get up and serve. Just get up and love. Just get up and obey. And cry out and say, God, help me today to be happy in you. I know that God is faithful. This should be our attitude. I know that God is faithful. All I can do today is trust him and get on with it. Isaiah 50 verse 10 says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. When there are days of darkness, when you look ahead and things seem bleak, prospects don't seem good, trust in the Lord, your God. So off she goes with Naomi's blessing and she ends up, verse 3 says, in Boaz's field on the day that Boaz happens to come to the fields. Coincidence? I think not. We will come back to that. And Boaz notices her and he asks the foreman. In verse 5, Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. That is a lengthy report in a very short story, and I believe the author includes it in order to highlight Ruth's character. He's highlighting her industry, her faithfulness. Now, the Hebrew here actually is... It's very difficult. We're not entirely sure um, what it actually says. The phrase, so she came and has continued from morning until now, might actually better be translated, she came and has stood from morning until now. That's the, the heading that I shared earlier. Some scholars are saying when Ruth comes to the field, she might actually be asking for a little bit more than the law strictly provided for, to glean among the sheaves. That might have been a request for closeness rather than distance. Gleaning among things that have already been put together, bailed together. 
It's something, some scholars say, perhaps the foreman hasn't granted now until Boaz gives, gives this instruction. So in verse 15, Boaz instructs the young men, let her glean even among the sheaves. That's a possibility, and if so, the author is trying to highlight a kind of boldness, maybe even a kind of spunk in Ruth. Maybe the ESV itself is actually correct, and, and she has just been gleaning behind the workers the whole day. The, the point is the same. She goes trusting Yahweh. She goes courageously in humility and in boldness of her trust. She makes me think of Another woman that we find in Scripture, one of my favorite, favorite passages in all of Scripture, a woman who comes to the Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. The Syrophoenician woman who came with that same humbleness before the Lord, but came with a bold trust, knowing who she was coming to. This mix of humbleness and boldness, this is the, the heart that leads to faithfulness when it's tough to get out of bed. This attitude, oh God, oh Lord, even the crumbs of your goodness, even the crumbs of your grace are more than enough for me. And every day, this is true of all of us. No matter what your circumstances are, in Christ, this is true of you. You are never less than God's child. You are never less today than forgiven. You are never less than loved. You are given the Holy Spirit. You are never alone. That is true every single morning that you wake up. And that ought to shape the way that you see the day. Well, considering her circumstances in life, Reading through chapter 1, we went through chapter 1, you might be tempted to ask, is Ruth right in the choice that she's made? Is she right to have this trust in Yahweh? So number two, let's see, as I believe the author intends for us to see, the unseen hand, the unseen hand of God. Imagine the same question, is Ruth right to trust in Yahweh? Imagine it asked of the author. Perhaps as you sit around a campfire with him as he tells this tale. You can just imagine the, the smile the, that curls around his lips. It may appear in the section that the main characters are Ruth and Boaz, but there is the hint here of another. Off stage, but active behind the scenes. The real hero of the story as it unfolds. I believe that the author intends for us to see this, to see Yahweh's hand in the string of coincidences that we see in this chapter. John Piper, in his book on, in his book, on the book of Ruth, A Sweet and Bitter Providence, says, you don't have to make your theology of providence explicit in every line. Sometimes it's good to leave something ambiguous, to give your reader a chance to fill in the blank if he has caught on. And that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to catch on. In verse 3, Ruth sets out after asking if she can glean in the fields. And it says there, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. The language is rich here. The Hebrew is rich. It, it means literally her, her chance chanced. The best modern translation would be, 
as luck would have it, she came to Boaz's field. Then verse 4 says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Oh, look, Boaz just happened to come to those fields that same day. It's the same phrase used in Genesis 24, verse 15, when Abraham's servant is seeking a wife for Isaac. He prays by a well. And it says there, before he had finished praying, behold, Rebekah came out. This is not just coincidence. And Boaz comes to the field and, and whose name is on his lips? The name of Yahweh. He says to the reapers, Yahweh, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. You can't see this in the English. I wish you could see it in the Hebrew. But in the Hebrew, it forms what we, what we call a, a chiasm. So the first word out of Boaz's lips is the word Yahweh. And the last word out of their lips is the word Yahweh. The author intentionally is, is highlighting the name Yahweh. Because the last time that we saw the name, where did we see it? It was on Naomi's lips when she lamented, Yahweh has brought me back empty. And here again we see his name, but it's on Boaz's lips in the context of covenant loyalty. What you're meant to see when you read this chapter is that what appears happenstance is not. That there are no coincidences here. Yahweh is working in the story of Ruth. So again, says Piper, God is gracious and sovereign even when he is silent in our lives. Ruth's unseeing but faithful stand is met with God's unseen faithful hand of providence in this passage. And in Ruth's bleak circumstances, God is working through her attitude of trust. Yahweh plus nothing is better than any life without him. Hers is the heart of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 84, that heart that leads to a beautiful life of kingdom significance. You know the, 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 the psalm, Psalm 84:10, for a day in your courts. A day in your courts, O Lord, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. This is her heart. Psalm 84 verse 3, Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. So here's the thing. On this day, Ruth sets out. She wakes up and she sets out to do the only faithful thing she knows to do in her difficult circumstances. Her heart is set on the goodness of God. She has no idea what God is doing in her story, what he's doing in her life. She's just trying to do what she can for her mother-in-law. And through this act, God is working for glory. He's working for their good. In his book, Faithful God, on the book of Ruth, Sinclair Ferguson speaks a little bit, but he gives a, a little testimony of, of what was used in his conversion and how he came to faith. And it was the, the testimony of another man, a, a businessman in Glasgow. 
And this businessman was sharing his own testimony, how he came to faith. And this businessman shared that in, in the office where he worked, as he was moving around that office, he passed what was then called a, a typing pool. Have you ever heard of a, a typing pool? Sort of like a, a room of uh, communal secretaries for the, the office. And this typing pool had three typists typing away. The man, as he passed, noticed that one typewriter was operating with a consistency and a cadence that was lacking in the other two. At first, this was just an observation. But uh, he, as he passed with regularity, passed that same room, he kept hearing the same thing until it became a, a source of irritation for him. Eventually, he mentioned it to a colleague. He says, every time I pass that typing pool, one of those typewriters is going with a consistency that you never hear in the others. His colleague responded, oh, that will be mentioning the girl's name. She's a Christian. And with that, his colleague walked on, leaving this man with, standing there with another question. What's the connection between the way that somebody types and the fact that they're a Christian? Well, soon he found himself a Christian as well. And Ferguson speaks of how this small, something so small, this faithful consistency noticed in the cadence of a typist's typing, how that was used to bring this man to Christ. And through him, Ferguson as well. And so says Ferguson, I do not know the identity of that typist. But it has often crossed my mind that unknown to her, the faith she so consistently expressed in her life became the link in the chain that brought me to the faith. A link in the chain that led to my writing and your reading of this book. And who knows, through this book she may become a link in the chain that brings others to faith. We do not know what small acts of faithfulness will do, how God will use those small acts of faithfulness. So even when our prospects seem bleak, the prospect of giving honor in small faithfulness to the God who has been so faithful to us ought to be enough to get, out of, get us out of bed in the morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that your faithfulness never changes. That as was prayed earlier, you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We thank you that we wake up every day as your children. We wake up every day as loved by you. We wake up every day knowing that we are forgiven in Christ. That we have our identity in you. Lord, there is so much for us to be grateful for, and yet so often we, we are poorly grateful. And so, Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would be with us this week. I pray that you would fill our hearts with your goodness. We thank you for another good day in the life of your church. I pray, Lord, that every day you would get us out of bed with a spring in our step, Lord, help us to be committed to you and to your glory. And Father, we ask in the little things that we do this week, in the little opportunities that you give us in the, in the workplace and wherever we find ourselves, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified through our lives. May glory come to Christ 
as we walk with you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.